Once again, the black, ghoul-haunted mist of the clavenless weekend swirls around our feet, rising like a tide of living darkness and plunging the three days before us into a fathomless obscurity alleviated only by lightning strikes of pure terror. On the bright side, I might have time to take in a movie. But as we approach the perilous depths of clavenless unknowing, there's still time to look back behind us at the smoking wreckage of the week just past and assess the damage. We see, for instance, that Andrew Breitbart's dream of creating a news operation that would challenge the mainstream media has now permanently collapsed in on its hollowed-out center of Trumpian partisanship. As a result, Ben Shapiro has had to act with integrity and walk away from his job there, leaving him more time to hang around the Daily Wire offices, practicing his tap dancing and working on his color-by-number flower pictures. Which, believe me, is incredibly annoying. Then, of course, there are the primaries in which a woman unfit for public service and a man unfit to be let out of the attic room where we had him locked up for so long both moved closer to running for an office once held by George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, and Millard Fillmore. Because even Millard Fillmore was better than either of these two knuckleheads. But why be glum? Let's look on the bright side. Plenty of good things are happening, too. And if we can only learn to accentuate the positive, our mood will lift, and we'll have a bright smile on our faces when the clavenless blade of weekend evil falls on our unsuspecting necks. For instance, here's some good news. For many years, conservatives have been complaining that Hollywood treated us unfairly. Every time a conservative appeared on screen, he was a loudmouth, dishonest jackass, radiating bigotry and misogyny. But now we're on the verge of nominating Donald Trump, who actually is a loudmouth, dishonest jackass, radiating bigotry and misogyny, so Hollywood isn't being unfair to us anymore. So that's good, right? <sighs> All right, then there's Obama's Supreme Court nominee, Merrick Garland. Yes, he's a left-winger, but he seems like a well-behaved, pleasant gentleman with very good manners, so he should make a very nice guest when he comes to your house to take your guns away. And finally, a recent poll shows that some 53% of young people ages 18 to 29 view socialism favorably, which means we can all go to our graves knowing that all those irritating little snowflakes will soon be stealing each other's stuff, receiving second-rate health care, and accusing each other of microaggressions against the revolution before throwing their former best friends into gulags. That serves the stupid punks right. So, really, when you look at it like that, everything is tickety-boo, and we can head into the Clavenless weekend with a song in our hearts. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows but Jesus. Trigger warning. I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is the Andrew Clavin Show. All right, and we have to go back to our friends at Hillsdale. Come on, cheer up, people. This is, this is the happy part. What if it was a requirement for every person in public office to have the Constitution sandblasted onto his chest? <laughs> I'm sorry, there's something about this copy that just inspires these vengeful fantasies in my... Instead of... We could have him sleeping with the Constitution under his pillow, and instead of simple random drug tests, he'd have simple random constitutional rights tests, which they, we would have nobody in government, the halls would be empty. If you want to fully understand the Constitution and your constitutional rights go and check out the free online course, Constitution 101 at Hillsdale College. You sign up for Hillsdale College's Constitution 101 for free at hillsdale.edu slash Andrew, and they will start sending you video 
classes into your inbox right away, and you will learn about the Constitution. That's hillsdale.edu slash Andrew. You will learn about your rights and learn where they are protected, which is in the Constitution, long-forgotten document that we once had in this country, and that you can find out at Hillsdale. All right. Let's get started here. Where, 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 what am I talking about? Um, first of all, we were going. We we're going to have an interview today with one of the most, really, he's one of the most controversial directors in Hollywood, Cyrus Nawasta. He is a guy who has been hounded by the Clinton administration until they virtually had one of his films banned, and now he's got a new film out, The Young Messiah, about Jesus. So he's starting more trouble, and he will be on in the second half of the show. So please stay tuned for that. What else? Happy St. Patrick's Day. I. Oh, I'm wearing green. I am wearing green. That's a total, a total accident. Because <laughs> I, I hate St. Patrick's Day. It has nothing, nothing against the Irish. My wife is a, a former Flanagan. But I just hate days that are dedicated to drinking, you know, because I actually, I love to drink. I love a good whiskey, a good wine. And these guys who go out on a specific day and get drunk and then kill themselves and others, I just, I just feel that's amateur night, all right? So I want everybody to know that I do read the comments on the, that come in to the Daily Wire, and I haven't quite figured out how to answer the comments yet because they won't let me get onto to the site, but I do read them, and I did read the one the other day from the guy who says he's not going to listen anymore because I laugh too much. So I have issued an edict. There will be no more laughter on this show. The people in the, in the room have been told, people outside the hall, and when I get home, I'm just going to tell my family to no more laughing, and it, it'll be, you know, there's a grim, grim, oh, now we've already broken it, never mind. Uh, <laughs> grim times, and grim times, I call for grim voices. All right, so here, just, just a, I just want to take a quick survey of what Donald Trump has done just in the last, I think this is the last two days, I think this is within the last 48 hours, all right? Last 48 hours, he's, he's made three statements. Of, of interest to me, okay? So for the first is on, he's on Morning Joe, and Mika, whatever her name is, asked him what, what he's going to do, who he's going to talk to, to get up to speed on foreign policy, because he obviously knows nothing about foreign policy. So who's he going to talk to? So this was his response. I'm speaking with myself, number one, because I have a very good brain. So a lot of people made fun of this, but the fact is that he, di he didn't always feel like that. We have a clip, an earlier clip, where he discussed the same thing. I got a good brains. <laughs> All right, so, so maybe... Fine, brain Jack. You make me happy. Very touching, inspiring, as he first found his legs and became became the man he is today. So there, there he is. Now, then the next thing that happens is he's talking, this was on CNN, I think, with Cuomo. He's talking about what will happen if there's a brokered convention, if there's an open convention. I think we'll win before getting to the convention, but I can tell you, if we didn't, and if we're 20 votes short, or if we're, if we're you know, 100 short... And we're at 1,100 and somebody else is at 500 or 400 because we're way ahead of everybody. I don't think you can say that we don't get it automatically. I think it would be – I think you'd have riots. I think you'd have riots. You know, we have – I'm representing a tremendous – many, many millions of people, in many cases first-time voters. These are people that haven't voted because they never believed in the system. They didn't like candidates, et cetera, et cetera, that are 40 and 50 and 60 years old. And they've never voted you, before. Many, many of those people, many Democrats, many independents coming in. That's what the big story is, really, Chris. I mean, the really big story is how many people are 
voting in these primaries. The, the numbers are astronomical. Mm -hmm. Now, if you disenfranchise those people and you say, well, I'm sorry, but you're 100 votes short, even though the next one is 500 votes short, I think you would have problems like you've never seen before. Well, I think... I think it would. I think bad things would happen. I really do. I believe that. I wouldn't lead it, but I think bad things would happen. Bad. If we don't give him the nomination, bad things will. See, this is the art of the deal. This is something that he has developed over time. This is the way when he was, you know, when he was building his buildings, he would he would go in and make these kinds of deals with bankers uh, to get his loans. Here we have that on on tape too. I think, in all fairness, I should explain to you exactly what it is that I do. For instance, tomorrow morning, I'll get up nice and early, take a walk down over to the bank and walk in and see you. And uh, if you don't have my money for me, I'll crack your head wide open in front of everybody in the bank. And just about the time that I'm coming out of jail, hopefully, you'll be coming out of your coma. <laughs> bad, bad things happen if you don't give Trumpy what he wants. It's a... It really, it really is, you know. If if my if my nomination is hit by lightning, if it falls off the curb, if a policeman shoots my nomination in the head, there'll be people in this very room that I will be blaming. That's two, right? Okay. Now here's three. What about the fox? He was supposed to uh, do another debate. Now that the the uh, candidates are down to three, two and a half. I mean, it's Trump and Cruz and the little raisin-looking guy. So, what? So, is he going to show up at the debate? Here, here's the third, the third cut. I think we've had enough debates. We've had eleven or twelve debates. I did really well in the last one. I think I've done well in all the debates. I mean, according to Drudge and everybody else, I won the debates. But I think we've had enough. How many times can the same people ask you the same question? So, I think we've had. So. <laughs> So in two days, we have learned that Trump is a dope, a bully, and he's a coward. He's running away from Ted Cruz. He doesn't want to stand on a stage. I mean, when you really listen to what Trump says, it's always the same thing. We're angry because of this, this, and this, and I'm going to make it better because I make great deals and know good people. That's it. That's his, that's his campaign slogan. So he's, he's running away. He's running away from Ted Cruz. It's like, you know, the big bully was such a tough guy when he was dealing with all these kind of various candidates who had their flaws. If he has to stand up and actually argue and debate with Ted Cruz, he's hiding under the desk. This is the same guy who's, he's threatening riots. You know, he's a tough guy, but he's hiding under the desk when it comes to a fight mano a mano. You know, I just wanted to throw that out there because there's a lot of people, including Senator Cruz, by the way, who are saying, you know, the media hasn't vetted this guy. They haven't dealt with his mafia connections. They haven't dealt with his the thing, all the businesses he's had that have failed. They haven't really, really taken a look at him. And I don't actually think that that's fair. I think the media, you know, I don't, it, Cruz says he thinks that the media is trying to make it so that Trump will be the nominee because they think he'll lose to Hillary Clinton. I don't actually believe that. I think that they are hitting him. They hate him. They want to stop him. He is right out there. You just saw him. He's a dope. He's a bully. He's a coward. And people love him. People love him. It's me they hate. It's, it's me and Shapiro. They hate for pointing it out. You know, I mean, it's like they don't, they don't hate him for what he is. They see what he is, and they tell themselves a story about that, that he's something different. So it has nothing, this does not have to do with the media. This is on us. This is on the people. You know, this is what the people want. And as I said, H, uh, you know, Mencken said that, uh, that democracy is the idea that the people know what they want and they deserve to get it good and hard. 
So, so this is, don't blame the media. This one you can't, you can blame the media for Obama's first election. Not for his second, but for his first. But not for this. All right. Want to deal quickly before we bring uh, Cyrus on. I want to deal quickly quickly with the Supreme Court nominee. This has been, uh, it's exact, playing out exactly as I said it would. They're selling this idea that he's a moderate, that it's ridiculous, that we can't, uh, do we, do we have a picture of him? Do we have a picture of the, of the nominee? Uh, Merrick Gardner. There he is. He looks, if you took his hair off, the guy looks like he could be my mild-mannered brother. He looks, he looks exactly, so I, I think Obama is just messing with my head at this point. Like, stop it, Obama. Stop it. You're driving me crazy. <laughs> the Supreme Court guy looks like me. But he, he does. He looks like he could be one of my brothers. But they just took the, if you just took the hair off him, you know. <laughs> it's like, anyway, so we're hearing what a moderate he is and all this. And actually, you know, one of the things that really bothers me in politics is people get so ginned up that they don't think things through. They just know if you say, if you're on the other side and you say black, I say white. If you're on the other side, you say three, I say four, I say the opposite of whatever you're saying. And immediately we've all thought, including me, that they should hold up the, um, they should hold up the nomination, not have any hearings, not listen to them at all. So last night I thought, well, wait a minute. Obama has posed this idea that Merrick Gardner is not a moderate. I mean, he's a left winger, but he's a moderate left winger. He's not as far left, as crazy as Elena Kagan or somebody like that. He's not like a, a, a radical left winger. And I thought, well, what if we did have a hearing on him? What if we appointed him? What if we said to ourselves, look, there's going to be maybe at least two judges that are going to die in the next term. You know, they're nine, what, Ginsburg, I think it's 90, and another one is 80, and they're going to be liberal judges. And so if we win, if by a miracle, Ted Cruz is the president. We'll get our two guys, plus this guy will be kind of a wash. And if we lose, if, you know, if we lose, Hillary Clinton is going to point somebody a lot more radical than this, and she'll get away with it, you know. So, so we'll kind of take the bet that if Hillary Clinton, if Hillary Clinton wins, she'll get somebody worse than Gardner. But then I realized, no, because on every important issue, this guy is going to vote for the left. And, and if Hillary Clinton wins, we'll still have time to have a hearing and let him in. You know, we can still let him in between November. So I think that this, the Senate just has to hold t- tight. It's, they say it's going to be tough. I don't think it's going to be so tough. I don't think the people are going to have a hard time understanding this. Let me, uh, before we go into our interview, let me read uh, the Reagan.com advertisement, which at this point I should know by heart, but the point of it is that your privacy is under attack. This is true. Big tech companies are scanning your emails and targeting you with unwanted advertising. Government agencies are collecting data at alarming rates, collecting every piece of data they can get their hands on. Take back your privacy by getting your name at Reagan.com as your private email address. It actually won't say your name. It will say your name. Not your name. It'll say your name. So you get your name at Reagan.com, and so you can proudly share President Reagan's name with every email you send. Plus, you will know that your emails are not being scanned or shared with third parties. So no more of those creepy advertisements that pop up after you write an email about something. Go to ReaganPrivacy.com right now. Secure your personal, private email address. And if you do it right now, you get two free months. ReaganPrivacy.com. All right, there is a new movie out, a lovely movie. I have seen it. It is a, just a beautiful picture based on Anne Rice's Christ the Lord out of Egypt. And it is basically deals with what are called the hidden years of Jesus Christ. He's a little boy. There's only one sentence about this in the Gospels. But this kind of shows us the problem uh, that his parents have dealing with knowing what they know and trying to break it to him. So let's, let's take a quick look at a clip. 
This is Mary finally breaking down and explaining to her son who he is. One, one morning, my room filled with light. It was white light. Like the sun, but with no heat or pain. It was pure. Like the air itself was glowing. I saw a figure. Larger than a man, but like a man inside the light. And it spoke to me. It said, Hail Mary, full of grace. The Lord is with thee. I had found favor with the Lord, and I was blessed among women. It said that from my womb would come a son. It's a beautiful picture, The Young Messiah. It's in theaters now. Cyrus Nawasta directed it, and he wrote it with his wife, Betsy. Cyrus, as I say, is one of the most controversial guys in Hollywood. He was attacked by conservatives for perceived liberal bias in the 2001 Showtime film, The Day Reagan Was Shot. He was attacked by liberals for his perceived uh, conservative bias in The Path to 9-11. The Clinton people came after him so badly that the film has still not been released on DVD. They pressured Disney ABC to keep it uh, under wraps, and they have. His film, The Stoning of Soraya M., was condemned by the lovable leaders of Iran for showing our Muslim brethren dealing with a woman's supposed infidelity by throwing rocks at her until she died. And now, which they do, and now he has dealt with Jesus Christ, always a touchy subject. Have we got Cyrus? Hello, Drew. Hey, there you are. How's it going? Going great. How are you? There you are. Yeah, you know, you are a troublemaker, dude. <laughs> like everything, everything you make blows well, up. When you break it down like that, I guess it sounds that way. But actually, I, I, I'm really a sweet guy. <laughs> well, I didn't say you weren't. You're, you're a sweet guy, but you're, you cause a lot of trouble. So how did, how did you come to make this film? This is Anne Rice's Christ Lord. You made it as the young messiah. How did you come to make this? You know, it sort of fell into my lap. It's uh, it, it, it's an odd thing. Basically, Anne Rice wrote a rave review of my previous film, The Stoning of Soraya M. Uh, we had an agent in common. Conversations ensued. My wife, Betsy, had read the novel when it first came out. I thought it was really a fresh, original idea. Just an amazing idea for a story. Um, and I leaped at it. It was tough, though, right? You mean you went through a lot to get this onto the screen? Yeah, it's been now six years uh, from conception to release. People tell me that's short in Hollywood, <laughs> but um, you know, I think that we went through some bumps. I mean, along the way, we the movie was up. We were deep in pre-production in early 2013, uh, and the financing fell apart. So we had to sort of reconstruct. From that point, three million dollars in the hole, which is can be a, a major gargantuan task, but we got there, and um, you know the project just wouldn't die. Nah, it's it's really, I mean, it really is a beautiful film, and it's very it's very moving to watch this little boy, you know, just a kid, come to terms with the fact that he is at the middle of history, and he's got this task. It's not just a big task, it's the biggest task that he's got to do, and he's just trying to get his, his mind around it. Now, 
I, I know that whenever I make a religious comment about anything, I get letters. There's always somebody, I didn't dot an I here, I didn't cross a T, and here you're dealing with a story that's not in the Gospels. Uh, are you coming under fire from religious people? Uh, not as much as we expected, okay. honestly. I mean, we, we've gotten some nasty stuff, but overall, they've been very kind. I mean, Christians are going to see it. We did okay business this uh, past opening weekend. We finished third amongst the, like the seven new films out. We would have liked to have done better. Uh, that's always the case. I think our numbers right now are indicating that the word of mouth last weekend was terrific. We had an A-minus cinema score. Yeah, I noticed that. People really love it, yeah. So if the word of mouth helps, we'll see how we do this weekend. I think there are there is a Christian element that is, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, they have a wait-and-see attitude because it's extra-biblical material. Right. Um, so they're saying, ah, let me hear some more about this. Let's, let, let's wait and see if it's worth uh, looking at. Uh, and we're hoping we'll get them this weekend. Well, what do you say to people when they say, because I've discussed the movie with, with people, with Christians, and some of them, not all, but some of them say, oh, you know, you shouldn't make it. If it's not, if it's not in the gospel, you shouldn't make it. You shouldn't imagine it. And what do you say to those people? Well, I'd like for them to cite me a movie that has done it perfectly. Um, you're always making choice. The minute you make a choice on who plays Jesus and what he looks like, you're interpreting. Um, you know, the, uh, the Sistine Chapel, uh, Michelangelo, uh, I'd call that an interpretation. Millions of faith-driven people go to Rome every year to look at it and to touch God. Um, everything's an interpretation. Everything's a work of art. Um, it's how you do it that matters. Um, and that's why I think people should give, give the movie, give a work of art, a television show, whatever, give it a chance, give it a shot, see what you think, see where it's coming from. Did you have the sense, I mean, I know you wrote this with Betsy, did you have a sense when you were writing it that you were dealing with some, I mean, I know you're, you're obviously no stranger to controversy at this point, but did you have a sense that you were walking into a, you know, a, a storm? Yes. <laughs> we, we, we knew all along. Yeah. Um, and like I said, that's why we had theologians. That's why we did it very carefully. That's why it's all in how you do it. We got a lot of help. And yes, we knew we were navigating a minefield. No question about it. How do you deal with the, you know, I know that dealing with child actors is notoriously difficult to do. How do you deal with getting, how do you get a little boy like that? It's, a, it's, an, it's an incredible performance, really. And his, I mean, his face is 50% of the thing, you know, he's got this great face. He really is a beautiful yeah. kid. But how do you, how do you get him into that part when he says, when he says, what's my motivation? What do you say exactly? Well, you know, I learned early on that this was an exceptional child. Uh, he's very bright, very capable, very thoughtful. He can listen. Uh, he's totally game. Um, I, I would say that my task was eased and the burden was eased exponentially just by the sheer maturity of young Adam. Adam Graves Neal is his name. Um, I started to talk to him like he's an adult actor. I talked to him about, you know, uh, intentions, objectives, uh, 
the circumstances of the scene, where he's coming from. I talked to him like he was a 25-year-old actor, mm. uh, and he got it. And there were times I'd, I'd have a conversation. I have a 10-second rule, which is I never want to talk to an actor more than 10 seconds between a take. Um, but sometimes I would lay things on him, and I'd say, oh, he's not going to get that. He's not going to remember uh, that. Was, uh, he hit every mark. Mm. He was on it. Wow. So we were fortunate. Yeah, I, I have to say your choice of faces, I, in, it does it does have this great combination of looking real, but at the same time, it looks almost like a Renaissance painting. I think a lot of that is the actors you chose. They just look, they look like they stepped out of the Bible, or at least out of my imagination of the Bible. It's a, an amazing well, thank cast. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. No, that's great. I mean, I, you know, I wanted to approach it as naturalistically as possible. I wanted this, this film set 2,000 years ago to feel like you can walk into this world. It's a believable world, and these are believable people, and they speak in a fashion that you understand them and it makes sense so that you're inside the scene, inside the drama and not wondering, what did he just say? Uh -huh. um, with a lot, you know, that's been the case with a lot of these biblical movies and I saw them all. I put myself through the torturous process of watching every biblical movie that's been made back, back in the last 50, 60 years. Wow. And some I loved, some I loved and some I thought, you know, and what I'm looking for really more than anything else is what they did wrong, the missteps. Um, because you have to put your people in this world. They have to be a fly on the wall and believe that it exists and that these moments are real. What's What's the worst one you saw? I, I, I see. My mine would be the greatest story ever told. But I <laughs> just, just curious. <laughs> you know, they're all a jumble to me. They're all a jumble yeah, to me. Right. That, that, there's so many that seem like they are directed by the same guy and the same actor was playing Jesus. Um, <laughs> that's certainly one of them. I'll tell you one that surprised me. And it has its share of cheesy moments. But I made, I think it was made in 61, uh, was Barabbas. I, huh. I thought that held up really well. Okay. Um, and uh, more because of Anthony uh, Quinn's performance, but also they capture an eclipse on film. It's an amazing moment. And at the right and perfect dramatic moment for the movie. Huh. And they, plant, they I read about up on it and they planned it that way. And it's extraordinary. That's that's cool. I haven't seen that in a long time. Uh, so let me ask you this: Do you mean did did you do you set out to be controversial? Do you did you mean to have this career where every two minutes we're sort of afraid for your life? And <laughs> you know, I mean, is, is know, it? Yeah, I don't know. I think I think to my parents and maybe a lot of my friends in high school, I was a constant pain in the ass. <laughs> but I think I think that I I like controversial spicy stuff i mean if you're looking for something i mean i like to go see it i like to watch those kinds of movies um i didn't i'm on path to 911 we were blindsided i did not expect the firestorm that erupted um on stoning as i am i expected the um, iranian government to condemn and ban the film as they did um you, you know I, i'm touching on subjects there though that fascinate me Personally, it's not about, okay, where can I rustle some feathers? It's all about what grabs me and my attention in terms of something that I want to work on. What's a movie that I would like to see? Yeah. Um, that's how I approach it, but it just seems to be that way. And maybe there's something else there that I'm just, you know, <laughs> just a slight, just a slight uh, urge to annoy people. But you think, uh, you think the path to 9-11 will ever be released on DVD? Well, I hope so. I mean, maybe when Bob Iger leaves Disney. Huh. I heard a rumor that he was threatening to run for governor. 
So, you know, <laughs> maybe that'll happen. And then maybe someone else will come in and they'll probably do a very quiet release, but at least it'll be available. It's shocking. It's, I mean, it may be the only film in the, of the last you know 40 years that isn't out on DVD. Now, if Hillary Clinton is president for the next eight years, it won't be released then either. You're, you're done. Then. Yeah. 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 Amazing, amazingly powerful. The Young Messiah, Cyrus Nawasa. Thanks for coming on, Cyrus. I appreciate it. And, Thanks, Drew. Uh, terrific film. Appreciate it. Right. Bye-bye. It's an excellent, uh, excellent Easter film to go see. All right. It's time to end this week. I hate to leave you guys alone with this country because uh, I don't know how we're going to sweep up on Monday, but we will try. Stuff I like. I, I don't think we've done this before, and I can't believe it. One of my favorite groups of all time, The Drifters. Does it, have we done it, the Drifters before? They, let me just read to you just a, a list of a partial list of their hits. Under the Boardwalk, There Goes My Baby, Save the Last Dance for Me, Up on the Roof, Saturday Night at the Movies, On Broadway, Some Kind of Wonderful. I mean, this is an amazing list. I mean, they were just so good. That Saturday Night at the Movies, nobody ever plays that anymore, but that has, that, that has one of my favorite optimistic lines, one of my favorite just like, lines of energy was does I, what is it, Saturday night at the movies don't care what picture they show but don't care what picture we see because he doesn't care because he's in the back seat with his girlfriend which I just think is a great condensed line it tells you everything you need to know I would call this my personal favorite except the truth is I listen to these guys so often the drifters that every now and again my personal favorite changes at the moment this is my personal favorite this magic moment we will go out with that I will see you again on Monday if you survive, but, you know, I can't vouch for it. But if you do, we'll patch you up and send you into the week ahead. I'm Andrew Claven. This is The Andrew Claven Show. See you on Monday. This magic moment So different and so new Was like any other Until I kiss you And then it happened it took me by surprise, I knew that you felt it too, by the look in your eyes, sweeter than wine, softer than the summer night, everything I want I have, whenever I hold you tight, this magic moment, while your lips are close to mine.